I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Uh, today I'm here with Anthony Vecino. Anthony has been on the show. I would look back to check which episode it was. It was episode 14, so definitely uh, go back and listen to that one. But Anthony is uh, a best-selling author, a real estate investor, and a serial entrepreneur, among other things. If you listen to the previous episode, he's a he was a professional rock climber. There's you are definitely a renaissance man. Um, Anthony, thanks thanks for coming on the show again. I'm, I'm really excited to catch up. Thanks. It's good to be here, man. It's like, uh, I was just looking at my calendar and it was like almost exactly a year ago that we last sat down and yep. and chatted on this on this podcast. So it's been, it's cool to see like you just passed or you're about to pass 100 episodes. So yeah, it's just amazing. I think it's super yeah. cool. It's Yeah. And it seems like it has not been very long at all. Like when, exactly. you, when yeah. you say, oh, it was about a year ago. I'm like, no, it had yeah, oh, yeah, I guess it has been flies. a year. So time goes by very, very quickly. Um, well, why don't well, you? Can I, I, I real quickly, like you, you referred to me as a Renaissance man, which I appreciate. I think that's, I, I appreciate. That's really cool. <laughs> oh, so um, that I started reading Leonardo da Vinci's biography, and he's like the original Renaissance man. Yeah. I recommend, like, if anybody is out there, like that gets inspired reading about other people's lives and like the crazy things that they've done, go read about da Vinci. That man is like out there he is so interesting i'm sure yeah i i I actually love like just you read about people that are you know have accomplished great things like like change the world type of great and it's like read those um their biographies and it it, you just they they think differently they just don't they don't even they don't think like most people do which is is it's cool to maybe fantasize that you relate to someone like that mm-hmm. sometimes when you're like look how look at the amazing things they've done and, and guess what i also sort of f- share some of their opinions so um <laughs> yeah that, that'll be a good one to check out why don't you catch us up on what you've been up to you can if, you dive into to as much of your backstory as you want um but yeah and then we can kind of see what you've been up to the whole this whole last year yeah. So yeah, just quickly catch people up. Um, I am co-partner of Invictus Capital. We buy apartment buildings in the twin cities of Minnesota. And um, I guess what makes us unique or weird is that we're vertically integrated. So we handle, we have in-house property management. Um, so our core thesis is if you take care of the residents, that takes care of the building, that takes care of the investment. So our goal has always been just to cut out all the middlemen and try to serve our residents and our investors as well as possible. Um, in the last year, it's been crazy. Um, you know, before, I think when we last sat down, um, we were sitting at probably 100, maybe 120 units under management. Um, and in the last year, we've put another 150 onto the portfolio, so around 270 or so. And just a couple of days ago, we put another 215 units under under contract. So um, here, very shortly, we'll be floating around 500. So it's been it's been a crazy year of growth for us. Um, again, because we're vertically integrated, we have to kind of grow at a measured rate. 
right? Like we can't just throw thousands of units onto the portfolio because we also have to hire the, the staff and the infrastructure to be able to go and manage those assets. And that's been the real, the, the real um, focus of this last year for us was on the systemization of the company and getting all the people that we needed to into the right seats, rowing in the right direction. And of every business that I've ever built, that's always been the hardest part is like getting the right people into the bus. Um, and so we are at this point now where it looks as though we have all the right people in the bus and things are going great and smoothly and I uh, can't complain about that. And then the the other really big thing that happened in the last year is we we launched a, a book. We we published um, Passive Investing Made Simple in August. And the probably the craziest thing about that book is that it hit number one on Amazon and then it stayed in like the top 10 on Amazon for, I think it's still there. It's just crazy to me that like we published it kind of for our own purposes. Like we we deal with a lot of new investors who don't know much about syndications. When we say that word, they're like, what's that mean? Or multifamily, what's that mean? And we're like, well, let's write a book so we can hand it to, to you know people and say, here, you can learn about it in a way that right. tries to make it accessible. Um, so we didn't have like grand hopes or illusions that this was going to be like this blockbuster thing, but the amount of people that have have picked it up and read it now has been like, and, and reached out and said like, Oh, this is, this has been really helpful. Like it's been truly phenomenal. So those are kind of like the really big things of the last year. Yeah. I, I mean, those are some pretty big things. Um, the, I think the, the book and the, the title of the book is, is fairly self-explanatory and that's you know, kind of the title of, of your, one of your podcasts. Uh, but just, you know, sort of that, concept of, of trying to make it simple for people. And it's, it's really a valuable skill to have in that you can be, being able to explain it. And then, and you, like I said, putting it in your book and having it. So, you know, really anyone can read it and kind of understand because there are a lot of complex concepts, but probably sometimes made more complex than they really need to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I think some people, you know, you, you, at least for me, when I was, you know, sort of starting out, it's like, make sure that you can talk the language and you can use the words, the right words yeah. that the brokers want to hear and all of that stuff. And it, and it, it does make sense from a, if you're going to be the, the sponsor or general partner on a deal, but you then have to relay that to your investors. And unless you're already talking to people that are, you know, sort of experienced investing in this type of uh, investment vehicle or, you know, the high net worth individuals, the family offices, if you're just talking to friends and family, most of them are not going to know it. And so being able to sort of translate, translate it like it's two different languages, I think is, is key. And, and your book like definitely helps with that concept. Yeah. You're, it's easy to become like an expert at a thing where you'd like speak the lingo because you're only ever surrounded by other experts that know the thing. So when you're talking about cap rates and, and uh, capital expenditures and um, uh, yield inversion curves, like all of this, when you're talking to other people in the industry with brokers and lenders, it makes sense. And a lot of times that's the waters that we're swimming in, but it's not until you try to explain it to a child or to your grandmother that you realize you don't really know it until you can explain it to a child. Yeah. And there's like, yeah. there's a lot of things in life that are that way. Like when you have a kid who's asking you like, why is the sky blue? And you're like, 
Well, I don't know. That's a good question. I never stopped to wonder that. Or like, <laughs> why do duck have webbed feet? Like, how did that happen? You're like, uh, good question. <laughs> like, yeah. never until you like you're stopped to reflect on these things that we take for granted. Do you realize um, that the true skill is to be able to explain it really simply? Um, because in in that you're explaining to somebody who has no context. It's much easier to explain something to a professional in the industry because they already speak the lingo. They understand it very, very deeply. Um, so that when you're trying to raise capital for the first time, I think people really struggle to make that jump from being an expert, but translating it into a way that the layman can understand and take action. And this is like my fundamental problem with investing. I think a lot of people's uh, problem is the same is that it's unnecessarily complex and as a result, uh, can feel overwhelming because it's like layered in all these, uh, all this jargon and these terms and whether it's stock market or crypto or it's real estate, like it, it when it feels overwhelming, we, we shut down and we think this is yeah. inaccessible. And then we look to outsource it to the professionals, like our stockbrokers, our financial advisors, and, and that's fine, but it doesn't solve for the problem that you still don't really understand. And humans are just curious little monkeys. We need to understand. Otherwise, we're filled with anxiety still, yeah. right? And so when it comes to this thing that's so important, which is our finances and our investing, like it goes a really long way to be able to understand what you're investing in. And I think you'll agree the cool thing about real estate is that it's it's fundamentally pretty simple at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. It, it's <laughs> find asset buy asset, manage asset, <laughs> sell asset, right? Like it's just kind of yep. this, <laughs> the same process over and over again. But I think you have a really good point in terms of the effect of, of being able to translate it, explain it to someone who doesn't understand it at all is, a, is actually like a huge learning vehicle for yourself. Because, and, and, and I do, like I run into this when, I, when I'm training residents in surgery. Mm. I, it's okay. So first you watch me do it, right? Which is like your mentorship phase in real estate. You watch, you watch someone else do it, kind of figure it out. You know, you, you pay real close attention. Then you start doing it. Well, when you can teach it to someone else, mm -hmm. that's when you really know what you're doing, right? Cause now you can break it down into all its components and pass that knowledge on to someone else. Like that's a, that's a big step. And it's what, you know, exactly what you're talking about. It's like here we, we, we have to, you, you can't do that at first, like mm -hmm. your first conversations with your investors, you're not going to sound very confident or knowledgeable or any, if you, if you're kind of coming at it right off the bat, I think it's just before you've reached that point where you can explain it to someone else. And, and at the end of the day, what people are investing in is, is you as much as the deal. And so if you can't convince them and sound confident in what you're saying, it, it, it will change things for you. It will change, you know, your ability to raise capital will get better and better, the better you are at explaining that to people. And of course, with you writing this book and having that, like now, now you are, you know, the expert on sort of explaining this passive or explaining passive investing to people simply. So it just, it builds up your own credibility. Mm -hmm. You probably experience this too, thinking about when you're training, you know, new surgeons or like, you know, new students is that when they first start to go and try to teach it, they are just regurgitating 
what they've previously heard in ways that they've heard their teacher or mentor, or whoever said it in this book. Like yeah. it's just pure regurgitation. And that makes it very, very difficult to teach it. Um, when you're just regurgitating to somebody, um, what you've already heard somebody else say, cause for it's always in the nuance. And so I think true, like if you really want to be a really good capital raiser, if you really want to help explain this, this vehicle or whatever thing that you're trying to teach somebody, you have to get to the point where you understand it so well that you can improvise in the moment mm-hmm. and you're not just having to like regurgitate. These are the, these are, this is how I've heard it before. So this is how I have to frame it yeah. because, um, there's always these nuances that get lost when uh, we're regurgitating. It's like, Oh, what I didn't realize is that when Jason was saying this to me before, like he said it in this way, or he, he, um, he, he put this pause in here. He emphasized this section. And when I regurgitated, I didn't do that. Right. Like, and that's why it didn't land. And like, when you're new, you just don't have the context for that stuff. So I think the key is, um, one of the cool things about writing the book was it really forced me to sit back and be like, okay, what am I regurgitating? What am I, what, what am I just saying? Because I've heard it so many times, or I've, I've said it so many times. And then how do I like break that down into a way that's like new and, and refreshing? Yeah. Yeah. And it, your, you also, your ability to say it with conviction as you know it better and better as, as you're, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, like, these little nuances where what things are the right things to highlight and emphasize and all of that you, as you figure that out, your conversation gets more polished and everything. But, but to your point, like at the end of the day, every investor you talk to, and this this is funny because before we started recording, we were talking about surfing (laughs) and Anthony talked about every wave is different when you're trying to learn surfing, every wave is different, but this is, that's maybe maybe a metaphor for life, right? Because mm-hmm. every investor you talk to might have a different question. And so if you're just regurgitating and they come at you with a question that wasn't part of what you had learned to regurgitate mm-hmm. and you don't actually know the stuff, you don't have an answer for that question. And so yeah. it, it's like it's like every deal is different, right? You can learn all the, <laughs> learn all the pieces to, to taking down a deal and managing it you're going to run into things that you didn't know before. So, so the more you know about it, the more you experience that the better those conversations are going to be, the better your, your ability to close deals and, and manage them is going to be. And again, it's, it's like all of life, I guess we get better at mm-hmm. the, the more we do, you know, the more we experience. I, I wonder if you would agree with this, this thought that I had as you, is that, um, as you get better at something and get better at explaining it, or like your deeper understanding of that activity, um, you move from seeing things in black and white and objective, and the better you understand the thing, the more subjective you realize the whole endeavor really is. And so like when you're, you're teaching, like, um, why do you do it this way? And like the students asking like, why, why not this other way? Like, when is the right time to do this? And like, the answer is almost always, well, it depends. <laughs> like right. you could, like, you could do it this way. And this is the way I recommend you doing it, but also there's nuance here. And sometimes you'll want to do it this way. And that's where experience comes in. And that's the part where you can't teach that. You can't teach knowing when A is the right solution and when C is the right solution. Like, cause the variables are constantly just swirling around. Right. And that's what, you know, when you're, when you're learning, that's what you're doing, right? Like this, like when I'm training, I'm training people in surgery, they're, they're, they're reading the books. They're like, this is the book says, this is how you fix this fracture. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and we, we go into surgery 
and they watch me fix it. And they're like, just like you said, why are you doing that? Why do you do this? And, and yeah, in a lot of instances, the answer is it depends. The answer is because that's how I do it. Like those aren't good answers, really. When you're when you're actually trying to teach someone, those aren't good answers. And that's not that's not the answer I want to give to them. But what I did notice, and I have talked to them in at, at times, and it, it sounds a little bit silly to say it, but like when I look at it, I see something different than they see. Mm. Right. So like like when you were when you were rock climbing and you look at a whatever you're going to climb, right? You look at it and you probably see yourself at the top. You, you're the, the way you get there is almost inherent, right? It, it, mm-hmm. Intrinsic, I'm pro- probably intrinsic is a better word. When I, when I fix a fracture, I see it fixed in my head. Like I have, I'm doing it. I see it fixed already in my, in my brain. And then my body knows how to get there, but they don't see that. Mm. They see here are pieces and here, and I have, and I got to figure out what are the steps to get to there. But so it's like, you can, I, again, I think this stuff sort of probably applies to anything that you reach some level of expertise in is you, you see it differently than someone who's isn't familiar and isn't learning. And so back to sort of the whole point in the beginning and the point of your book is now, how do I translate that? How do I translate what I see in my head to whoever I'm trying to teach this to? And and mm. that's exactly what you did with your book is you sort of had to put it out on paper like this is what I see this is what I'm thinking when I'm talking to you about investing in one of my deals but like they're they're seeing and hearing something different than what you see in front of you because you already know how it goes mm. I guess it's maybe my I'm curious my in, in the surgery like as you're talking about that the thing I think about like when I'm looking at a cliff, let's say, or a business opportunity and investment, right. Is like, it's so easy to see the end state for us. And we're not seeing the intermediate steps because for me, at least it's, it's a flow, not a checklist. Right. Right. Like when you get to that level of mastery in the, in the surgery, in the surgical realm where it's like, are, do you, do you think in terms of like, I know there's checklists, obviously, I think the checklist manifesto is a great book that talks about, you know, this concept in the surgical world, but as the surgeon, like, you're probably not really thinking in terms of like, now I need to do step A, step B, step C. It's like, it's just such a, I'm curious, is it like more of an organic flow or do you yeah. think in checklists? If, if I'm teaching, it's a, it, I try to do it in checklists. Sure. But what's, what's actually happening. Like if I'm doing just doing the fracture by myself and not having to train anyone, it is exactly that. It's just flow The the check checklist manifesto is almost, that's essentially before surgery starts. Like yep. the things yep. that you go through to make sure that like you're doing the right leg or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you're, you, that you're yep. everything's correct going into it. Once you start, you're, you're starting, you're now you're doing yep. surgery and, and it is, it's, it's, it's like a flow state where you, it, it, it is it, it is the I think we talked about this maybe in that first <laughs> that first <laughs> episode, but like it is the place for me that I can be like I can have music on, I can be talking to people around me, I can be teaching, like all of that can be going on, and I can still be doing surgery mm. because it is because that's the the place where that like where I've got that level of mastery where it's like now I 
I don't, it's not that you're not thinking about it, but you're not, you're not doing the checklist. Like you said, you're not like Mm -hmm. my next step is do this. My, my, it's just, you sort of, it becomes more artistic than, um, than pragmatic, I guess. It's just, it's just this thing that you do. It's it's like the um they, the the four levels of competency where people talk about being uh, what is it unconsciously incompetent is the first level where you're not even conscious of the fact that you suck at the thing, and then the next step up from that is you become consciously incompetent where now you are aware I'm not very good at this thing, and then if you keep with it eventually you'll move up into conscious competence which is if I think really hard and I try really hard I can do this thing well. The, the highest level, though, is unconscious competence, where you're not even thinking about how you do it anymore. You're just so good at it. And I think if you want to be a really good capital raiser, if you really want to communicate the benefits and like change lives through this, you know, whatever you're trying to raise capital for, like presumably real estate, then that's where you got to get to, where you can just talk about it so unconsciously and in ways that the person across from you, like, even if they don't fully understand it, they will go, oh, you get this. Like you truly understand this. And at the end of the day, like that's really what people are investing in. They're not investing in a deal. They're investing in the operators who are running the deal. And the thing that's going to give them the the comfort to sleep well at night is not, not understanding all the minutia of how a deal works. It's having like unwavering confidence that the, the group that you've invested in, they do know that they know yeah. what to do and that they're in alignment with your values and your morals and your investment thesis. And that's what that's what you're trying to get to, I think, as a passive investor, because like no passive investor I've ever talked to wants to get to the level of unconscious competence when it comes to real estate investing. They want to focus on the other things in their life that they like to do. Like they're a vet. They want to be a vet. They don't want to be a real estate investor full time. And so you have to figure as the person on the other side of that relationship, trying to communicate to them in a way that gives them enough of the pieces to put it together and understand what the picture shows, but then to give them the confidence that they don't have to be the one sitting there and putting all 10,000 pieces of the puzzle together, that you're going to be the one that does it for them. Yeah. They just have to feel good that you know how to put the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. that's like it's not it's not a matter of you're not trying to teach them like i said it's like yeah okay when we talk to brokers and things like that you have to show them that you know the lingo but that you don't need to show the passive investor that you know the lingo you need to show the invest the passive investor that you can explain to them what's going to happen and then they feel comfortable and confident that you're going to deliver on that like that's ultimately what it comes down to and i yeah, 100% look forward to to that uh, unconscious mastery or unconscious competence of of capital raising. I think it's it's a it's definitely a challenge to me. I, mm-hmm. I think just it's a a sticking point in a, in a lot of ways, just from mindset to you know sort of mm-hmm. shift from uh, asking for money to offering opportunities, which is I can feel it happening. But it it's been it's also been fun to feel that like new challenge and growth because I think sometimes when you get into that level of of that you know sort of unconscious unconscious competence then it's it's maybe not pushing your mind anymore because you can mm. just do it and so it, it's finding ways to to kind of keep growing and and having your 
level of challenge, I guess, get, getting, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, I suppose, is, is, is that, you know, to use that cliche. And I think that's for like, if for you, that's probably where teaching started to come into it, right? Like you didn't probably start teaching while you were still trying to get to that level of unconscious competence. Um, yeah, it, it kind of like started to happen simultaneously. It was like, you have more mental bandwidth and you have the ability to go and, um, now teach it while doing it. So, um, but, but capital raising is hard. And I think, uh, I, I think there's narratives out there in the world that make it sound like it's going to be a lot easier. Like if you find the deal, the money will come. And in my experience, that's never been true. And so for people that have heard that message and then they go to raise capital because they have the deal for the first time and the, the capital doesn't come, they can feel like, oh, this was supposed to be easy. I was told if all I have to do is get the deal. And my experience with raising capital is that it's, it's much harder. It's a much deeper skill overall um, than a lot of people would lead you to believe. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's like the hardest thing in the world, but it's also not, not the easiest. Yeah. It's definitely a, there's a lot of uh, mental fortitude that goes with it. Cause you have, you just have to, you have to believe what you're talking about. You have to have conviction behind it and you have to be okay that some people are going to say no. And most mm. of us go through life, not wanting that we feel you feeling like it's a rejection. Most of us go through life, yeah. like not wanting to be rejected. But the reality is, is it's like, they're not necessarily rejecting you. They're just, they're just not ready to invest. And that's, you know, so the, there's a lot of that stuff you kind of have to wrap your mind around. And I think you're, you're hundred percent right. That if you find the deal, the money will come. Like that's one of the worst possible things that could be out there for people. Cause it's like, it's, just, it's incredibly it the wrong daunting. expectation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, well I found a deal and, and wait, nobody wants to give me money. Like I don't, and you just, it's like, I must be doing this wrong. And, and the reality mm -hmm. is it's, it's not, it's not true. I think when you're experienced and you have a network of investors and you've done a bunch of deals and you've already raised a bunch of capital, yes, you find the deal and the money will come. Yes. Right. Like those people, you know, I, I, I look forward to the day of being, you know, we hear about people that raise $10 million in an hour. And, and it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. that would be awesome. Like that. <laughs> I would love to be able to have that kind of impact with my deals. And, and so um, I think it's that there are some, there are some sayings in, in the real estate world that are probably more detrimental than anything. And that, that being one of them, the, the other one being you can get into real estate with no money. Mm. No, I hate that <laughs> one too. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you, you can, it's just the wrong mindset. Right. Like you, you don't have the wrong to be, way to look at it. Like you don't have to be wealthy to get into real estate, which is what yeah. I think a lot of people think, but you probably need a little bit of money. Like you need to, whether it's got to come from be, someplace, right? Like whether Somebody's that's going to be money. that, you know, initial earnest money, or even it's just, you're investing in your, in your education with a mentorship or whatever it is. Like you, you probably can't have no money and sort of just start right off. At least it, at least at, uh, at the, you know, level of syndication. So I, definitely I, at the level of syndication. And I think that's, that's another thing that I, I, I encourage people to, you know, pay their, their tuition at the school of hard knocks on their own dime before they ever go and raise a dime. Because like, if you've never done the thing, like running a uh, operating an asset is not the, the most complex thing in the world, but it's also not the easiest. Like there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And if the first time that you're ever operating a building is with somebody else's money, then it adds this new layer of stress Mm -hmm. and anxiety on top of the equation that uh, you're probably just making it harder on yourself. You're, you probably have to have really trusting investors because like if you've never done a deal before, even on your own, even if it's small, like anything is, is better than nothing, like uh, creating a little bit of track record. Um, And these things, they compound over time. So when it comes to, um, you know, if you have the deal, the money will come. Yeah. Last year we did a deal where we raised $2 million in 48 hours. And you could say like, oh, they just had a good deal. And the people came. It's like, no, that's overlooking the three years of conversations and education and podcasting and book and all that stuff. It's like the deal didn't just like the capital didn't just manifest because of the deal. So if you go into if you go into each interaction, though, with a prospective investor thinking I need to get them to give me money, otherwise this I, I've been rejected and that this is a failure and I fail, I, I suck as a consequence, you're going to, f- you're going to be disappointed a lot. So for me, it was about changing the mindset and going into each conversation, less about trying to get the person to invest with me and more saying, my only goal is for you to walk away from this conversation, understanding this vehicle well enough so that you can invest in it someday, not necessarily with me, yeah. but with anybody like And if I can do that, then hopefully in that process of educating you, you think, oh, I would like to work with you. You seem like a great person to work with. You seem like you know what you're talking about. And like, you have a great track record. Cool. Like, but I'm not leading with trying to get you to invest in my deal. I'm just trying to lead with, I want you to, I want you to understand what I do well enough so that you can participate. Because at the core, I think, I think everybody deserves to own a piece of a building. And if you want to create generational wealth, if you want financial freedom, all those buzzwords, um, there's no better vehicle than owning a piece of commercial real estate. And so I want to make that as accessible to people as possible, whether or not they invest with me. And I think if you go into it with that mindset, one, it makes it a whole lot less scary to talk to investors because if they tell you no, like, cool, that wasn't my goal anyway. My goal was just to educate you. And if you, if, if I did that, cool, that's that's my win contingency. Yeah, no, I actually love that they put it that way that your your goal is for them to understand it. And then Mm -hmm. maybe they don't invest now. But I always tell people like, hey, if you if you don't want to do with me, you should still be doing it. And let me connect you with other people who you can invest with and and maybe have more of a track record than me. And and that's fine. Like I, I 100% believe it is, you know, sort of the, the best investment vehicle out there. So it's kind of the 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 conviction side of it isn't a problem. It's just conveying that in a way that, you know, seems like it's, uh, you want to be helping the people not mm-hmm. thinking, Oh, I need to raise money or I'm in big trouble kind of thing. You know, you don't, <laughs> that sort of pressure on yourself is just going to make you sound more desperate. So, yeah. um, it's a, I love the idea though, of, of, you know, you're just trying to make it so that they understand, you know, kind of what the, what the process is mm-hmm. um, to talk a little bit about being vertically integrated. I, I think it's a very interesting concept to me. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about, or at least you hear a lot about, you have to have like a certain number of units before that's the right thing to do. But you, you basically started that right from the beginning, right? That was your, mm-hmm. you, you've been vertically integrated from the start. So yep. I, how did you decide to do that? Kind of how, how, how do you feel that 
do you like it? You know, is it, what, what is it, what does it work from a, how does that work from a business standpoint? Yeah. Some days I like it. Some days I don't. Uh, <laughs> so one of my, one of my core business thesis, thesis, theses, uh, thesi is whoever's closest to the consumer wins. And in business, quite often it's easy to have a lot of middlemen kind of insert themselves unnecessarily into the equation and they, they cost money and they add um, more to the, more to the, the cost to the consumer without necessarily adding more value. And so my goal has always been when creating a business from the beginning is to sit down and say, okay, what, what can we do ourselves? And the problem with that is you have to learn things that you don't currently know how to do. And presumably third-party management or, you know, yeah, the third-party management company, they already know what they're doing because they've done it before. So that's the big advantage of outsourcing it to some other company to run your property management is that they already have the systems, the people and all that into place. And so you can scale quickly relying on that. But my experience has been, you're then very dependent on them, right? Like if they're not working as hard as you'd like them to, or taking care of your building in the way that you want, if they're not running it as efficiently as you'd like, well, there's not much you can really do. And so there's always going to be this gap if you go that route of relying on a third-party company and yourself and your ability and your knowledge. If you outsource it, you'll, you, you're doing it because you don't have the skills to people, the systems in place, right? But if you outsource it, you never have those things. And so the problem is, okay, well, when's the right time to build this? Is it from the very beginning or is it later on? And my... <laughs> My advice to people when it comes to hiring is to recognize that there's only ever two times to do it. You either do it too soon or you do it too late. And both of those come with a cost. When you do it too soon, it costs you money. If you do it too late, it costs you opportunity. And most of us fixate on the money because that can be quantified on a spreadsheet. And so we don't hire too soon typically. If anything, we hire too late. Because opportunity costs can't be quantified in the same way. It's just something that you can look back on maybe retroactively and say, we passed up a lot of opportunity there. And so I've always been of the mindset, let's spend the money earlier than is necessary, strictly speaking, so that we don't have to pay that downstream opportunity cost. And what that meant from the property management side is as we were scaling our portfolio, it was very inefficient in the early days. Until we hit about 150 units, it was operationally very inefficient. And we were, my, me and my partner, Dan, were having to do a lot of the work and overseeing things. But what ends up happening when you take these things in house and you build the competency, it's like a flywheel. It takes a really long time to get it going. But there is an inflection point where suddenly momentum's on your side and things start getting really easy. And the question is just how quickly can you get to that inflection point? When we were modeling this out, we knew that for us, it was going to come at about 200 units. And sure enough, we were about 270 at the moment. We're about to double that. And it was in the last six months, it's just gotten easier and easier and easier. Doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. Cause like what got you here won't get you there. The systems break and they, they have to evolve, but for us, it was the right decision just because it's an alignment with our mindset 
of how we want to do business. That doesn't mean it's the right play for everybody. Like if you don't enjoy hiring and training and working with residents and building systems and operating a business, you're going to hate it. You're absolutely going to hate it and you should outsource it. So I think the first step is just getting really clear with yourself about um, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you want to do? What would you hate to do? And then pick the path that's right for you. And if that's building it in-house, then don't hesitate. The, the time to build is now run at it hard. And if that's not for you, then cool. Sleep well at night, knowing that that's, that you're not going to have to deal with firing an employee. Um, because that's, that's the part of business that they never tell you about is that <laughs> you, yeah. to build a great team, you're gonna have to let a lot of people go to, to find those good people. And that, that never feels good. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I uh, do not like that idea. The idea of, <laughs> Firing people is hard. I mean, even even if you have third party management, if they're not doing what you need them to do, there may be a scenario where you have to sort of mm -hmm. fire that group. So it's I guess you don't completely escape that by by not being vertically integrated. But I, I do find it very interesting. And I, do you feel like just like financially there? I know you said that, you know, at about 200 units, it, it seemed better. Like, do you feel like it's worthwhile? financially does it save you money on your operations at at, at that level yeah 100 percent. even even at the layer of inefficiency when we our portfolio still wasn't large enough um from a systemization process perspective um it was still worth it from a financial perspective actually pretty early on in the game because what we're able to do is we're not trying to drive a profit with property management that's the key because we're managed, we're only managing our own assets. We don't manage for anybody else, right? And so what we're able to do is is run our assets at break even. So our property management company is just trying to cover the overhead of staffing and supplies and, and machine and like hardware, all that stuff, right? But once we've covered that, we're trying to leave as much money in the asset as possible so that when we go to refinance or sale, we get the benefit of having that higher NOI. And so we can run a building at like three or 4% property management fee, as opposed to if we're outsourcing that, that might be closer to, you know, eight or 10%. So just right there, that Delta of four to 5% savings that stays on the NOI so that when we go to refinance or sell, we get that boosted. So like, I believe at a 6% cap rate, $1 of, of additional NOI equals about 15 or $20 of downstream um, valuation. So $1 left in the business can be very, very valuable later on. Whereas if we take that out in the form of profit through the property management company, yeah, that's great, but it's just a dollar. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. So, and, and those, those numbers, like the property management percentages, you know, typically Effectively, the smaller the property, the more they're going to charge you in like a property management fee. Mm -hmm. And then, but then when you get to those larger ones, then you're talking typically it's going to be about 3%. So if, do you, so you know, sort of given the numbers that you put out there, do you think with the larger properties, there's going to be that same savings? Or do you think then it's just going to be kind of like, uh, we manage our own we manage our own buildings and and because that's the way we want it to be and we have better control. Do you, do you think that 
that you have that same kind of savings there? Yeah, I think typically as you as you start looking at those really large portfolios, the part that gets missed is that the property management fee might be 3%, but what's your payroll, yeah. right? Like, right. and you think about those two numbers together, um, now that number looks a whole lot different than 3%. For us, it's just 3%, 4%. Right, because our payroll is our property management fee, right? And so overall, we're still netting out lower than the alternative. And there is efficiencies for sure as you get into those bigger, bigger properties. Um, but I find that there's uh, there's more hidden fees um, just in talking because I coach a, a fair number of students who are getting into multifamily investing and um, just looking at their PLs and like the the expense creep from yeah. property management companies can be, it can be very sneaky sometimes. So there's definitely efficiencies as you get to the bigger portfolios, but um, I would look at it more holistically of like, okay, what's the PM fee and the payroll, put those two numbers together. Right. Cause that's going right. to give you the accurate reflection of what's it cost to run this bad boy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, those are great points. And like I said, it's always something that's interested me, but it is effectively you're adding another business to your business. Right. You now you've yeah, got a property management company that you have to manage as well. So it's it's uh it's it's not to be not to necessarily be taken lightly because you don't what you don't want to do. I, I know you said you, you and your partner have had to do some of the stuff yourself, but you don't you don't want to become the property manager, right? That's exactly not, you don't want to be that you know sort of person on site that's <laughs> screening tenants and things like that. You're you're trying to you know essentially create a business that uh can run alongside of your, your real estate business. hundred percent. And, and we, we very much treat these as two different companies, right? We have Invictus capital and we have Invictus management yeah. and both of them have their own culture. They have their own core values or mission statement. And then like keeping the, like understanding that by going the in-house route, you really are building another company. Um, so if, if, if that's daunting, then don't do it. For us, it was it was not so daunting because I have more operational expertise from past endeavors. Like that's what I do is building out businesses, systems, and hiring teams and, and training. And so I felt we felt confident that we had the skill sets necessary to succeed if we went that route. Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. I, it, it just comes down to you know sort of self awareness and and you know mm -hmm. what your company goals and mission is that you know maybe you have zero interest in doing this and you found a good third property or third party management group and you just keep churning along with them. But, but a lot of people do, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think property management gets a bad, bad rep, but because people just <laughs> sort of best, but there are some bad property managers, but, but ultimately yeah. it's kind of a hard, thankless job. So trying to, uh, you know, be understanding of that, whether it's your own company or it's a third-party management company is, uh, you know, think a, a big, a big step in in sort of moving forward in in synergy. Yeah, hundred um, percent. The a lot of people ask us if we ever have any intention of doing third-party management, managing for other people, right. and we're like, no, because you get you get all the worse, you get all the headache, but you get none of the upside. Um, at the end of the day, your third-party management company isn't sharing in the equity; they're just taking their flat fee. And that flat fee is based off of pretty thin margins that need large scale to justify existing. And um, don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Like when it comes to real estate, um, it's a people thing, right? Like real estate exists for people. There's, there's 
residents living in these buildings. And those residents are going to be both the, the your boon and your bust. They're going to be the thing that makes the investment work, but they're also going to be the thing that makes you want to pull out your hair. And if you don't want to be the one that has to deal with those residents, then building the in-house property management company is not the way to go because that's what it is. It's just 100% day-to-day customer service with people who um, maybe it's for cultural reasons. Uh, it's the whole landlord-tenant relationship. Like most people don't like their landlord. And so they're coming by default into this relationship from a kind of combative perspective. And so if you're not comfortable stepping into that relationship and, and meeting them where they are and recognizing like there is an inherent power d- dichotomy here, right? Like I own this building that you live in and it's your home. And yet somebody else has the ability to, you know, make your life uh, a pain, right? If you can't step into that relationship and be willing to like put up with a lot of the crap, but then also like do your best to serve the the community, like it's really not going to work. So definitely go third party at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, perfect piece of advice. I, yeah. The, the tenant side of it is, is the, the best and worst part of, of this, you know, improving people's lives and their homes and things like that is fantastic, but some of them are, you know, sometimes you're going to run into trouble people that don't, mm-hmm. don't appreciate it. Don't want to pay your rent don't whatever it is like, there's going to be issues, but it, it really is, you know, also can be the, the very best of it. So uh, I, I like that. Um, well, why don't we switch gears and we'll, I won't even ask you all four of the questions because you've done this before, but um, first let's just start with how can people reach you uh, when, when they hear this, what's, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Sure. So if, uh, I mean, we talked a lot about the book today. So if, you, if anybody's interested in getting a copy of it, you can go to the passive and uh, it's free plus shipping. So just, I think it's nine bucks to ship it anywhere. But um, if you want a copy of the book for free, like free, free, and you don't want to pay anything, then what you can do is just go and leave a review for this podcast on iTunes or wherever, and then shoot me an email at anthony at invictusmultifamily.com say, Hey, I left the review for the podcast. Now send me a free book. Um, and I'll send you a free copy of the book. So I like true free, free, no, no shipping or anything. So, but you got to leave awesome. a review. That's the, that's the price. That's awesome. Appreciate that. Um, what, well, what is your, why has it, has it changed? Do you have any, any new, uh, Good <laughs> new things to add to your why that I think that I, I, Personally, I feel like my why evolves with time and I feel yeah. a lot of my guests have said the same thing. So maybe a year later, you have you have uh, some different, at least nuances to your answer. That's I, I think there's different seasons to life and the thing that motivates you or drives you in any one of those seasons is, I think it's fluctuating and it's okay. I don't remember honestly what my why was last year, what I said. Um, right now, I've been reflecting on it quite a bit because it's kind of the new the beginning of the new year and what which what I want my why to be moving forward into the, the rest of the year. And the thing for me is just like, I'm reading about Leonardo da Vinci because for me, I feel my truest and purest like expression of joy when I'm creating, when I'm building something or writing something. And for a long time, I, I struggled to think of like, well, how do I coach that in terms of like, making an impact on the world or the lives of people around me. And, and it's hard because creation, like I like to create just for the sake of creating. I don't even care if anybody like enjoys the creation. So um, 
my why right now is just to just to create, just to to leave something that could never have existed if I hadn't been here on this planet. And like not even trying to leave it better necessarily, because I think we all want to leave the planet like the world a better place than we found it. Um, I just want to leave it, I just want to leave it changed somehow. I want to, I want to have created something that just it needed me to create. So that's my why right now. That's awesome. That's a I that that is very thought provoking. It's probably the, the <laughs> just like, huh, what what could I create that only I could create? And that's like a that's actually a very cool thing to think about. So I will we challenge the listeners to come up with something that they they can create that only they can create. Um all right, one more question, Anthony. What 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 advice do you have now, you know, a year later? I'm sure you've learned a lot over the last year. What what is your advice to advice to other aspiring investors? Oh, the road is long and it goes ever on. <laughs> so don't don't lose sight of the fact that life is happening moment by moment. And it's not these milestones, it's not these objectives, it's not, oh, I closed on this building or I raised this much capital or I wrote this book. It's not those things. It's just every single day. What are you like that? That's that's what life is made up of. And you can live the same day uh, 10,000 times over, or you can create like a new, new life in a day every single day. Um, but what I found for myself is that when I'm the least joyful, it's because I'm focusing on something in the distance. I'm focusing on a result. I'm focusing on an accolade and objective. And if I can just bring my focus out from the horizon and back to my feet where I'm at, that I, I feel fulfilled again. And it's such a simple thing. It's hard to do. And it requires constant recalibration. But um, yeah, that's the that's my lesson. Yeah, that's I mean, <laughs> I'm going to take that one in personally, because I do, it is very easy to get caught up in what's the next, like, what is that next milestone? Like, okay, I need to, need to get another deal under contract. Okay. Now I have 60 days to close that deal. Like <laughs> then I have to do the, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. so, so life is, life is structured that way. Like almost all of life is structured that way. It's like people with, with W2 jobs, it's like, okay, well, I have a vacation scheduled this summer. Like mm -hmm. I just got to get to the vacation. But like, if, if we live, if we live our lives, just trying to get to that next milestone, then you're literally just missing out on everything that happens up to that milestone. Mm -hmm. It's like, even like on a, on a very small basis, like people that are only excited about the weekend. So you're, yeah. you're literally just five days of your week is means nothing to you. Like you, mm -hmm. <laughs> like if that's the case, probably need to change something. So I, I, I think uh, that's a great, yeah. Just, you know, sort of being more living more in the present uh, will, mm -hmm. will certainly make you uh, ha have more joy in life. And, and you know, this too, like we all know this is that those, those big accomplishments, they, they feel good, but they don't last very long. Like that feel good doesn't last more than, more than a day, maybe, maybe, maybe a week if you're really lucky, but it's like somebody, I can't remember who it was, um, was just, it was Jim Carrey actually. Um, he's, he said something like, if you realized how quickly people will forget you when you die, you would stop caring what they think when you live. Yeah. And it's this, it's it's the same thing but applied to an accomplishment or a goal. 
And like, if you only realized how little it was actually going to change the quality of your life, accomplishing that thing, you wouldn't care about it as much as you are focusing on it. So It's so true. Jim Carrey well, for the win. One of the, it, uh, he, he, he has a lot of really insightful stuff, but yeah, one of, one of the, guy. like, I don't want to say most disappointing things, but like one of the most anticlimactic things I've ever experienced in my life was closing the first deal. <laughs> yeah. I, Cause like, it never gets better either. And, like, right, right. Like, and now I, now I can accept that, but every, yeah. everybody, like everything in the space is like, almost everything is built to how do you close that first deal? Like, like, Michael Blanc has essentially created his old brand around that the first that deal. first deal, and yep. and it and it to be sure it is a big accomplishment, and I'm not trying to minimize it, but like literally, what happens is you close it, everybody says congratulations on the team, and well, guess what? Now you got to actually manage it. Like it's like <laughs> it's like there's no no fireworks went off. No, it was like guess what? Now we get now we actually get to work. Like it's kind of that you know sort of thing. So it, it's a funny. <laughs> A funny thing. Here's the, here's the weird, and I totally agree with this. Like the weirdest thing about closing that first deal is that your entire life from the moment you were born up until the moment you close that deal, you never had confirmation that you were the type of person capable of closing that deal because you hadn't actually done the thing. So there's always like this anxiety or this thing nagging in the back of your head of like, can we actually do this? And it feels big and it feels hard because you've never done it before. But the moment that you're sitting there at the closing table doing it, it's no longer this surprise or this big event because you have, by consequence of the fact that you're there, become the type of person capable of yeah. being there. Right. And we, you already adapt. Like it's the hedonic treadmill. You've already adapted because you're just like, well, this is who I am. And like, and it's like, well, that's amazing, but it's also really hard in the moment if you just don't take the second to reflect like, yeah, this is the first time you've ever been this. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, like I said, it is, to be sure it is a big accomplishment. It's a big accomplishment every time because mm-hmm. it is a lot of work to get there. But it, but you just, I don't know. I just had this like, I was like, man, this is going to feel amazing. And then it happened and I was like... <laughs> Okay, well, here we go. Let's do this again. Like, like that is just, Neat. yeah, so cool. I, I'll try again. The, I remember my first closing, they give me this big packet of paper. I sign it and it's whatever. And then I just get in my car by myself and drive away. Yep. I, and I was like, we huh. signed all the papers like three <laughs> days ahead of time. Like, oh, I, yeah, I, so I there signed you go. it ahead of time. It got sent off to the, like, you got an so, email that's like, hey, right, we're the day of, we closed. <laughs> like, you get an email, we closed. Oh, well, hooray. Like I'm like <laughs> sitting there in front, like I saw it on my phone or something like that. So I mean, what? again, it, it is a very cool thing, but it is, it is not maybe the uh, fireworks spectacular that you thought it yeah. was going to be, but it's, it's so all that's all right. to say it is enjoy to the journey. Exactly. If exactly. you don't enjoy that's, the journey, like the destination is going to suck regardless. Right. right. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the point of this is that it's, it's not that it's a bad thing, but you better like the rest of the way. Cause the, the ending's not going to be as exciting as you think it might have <laughs> yeah. been. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like Matrix. It's like matrix three. The, yeah. it, it's and, just and not four, as good. They, they didn't get better. Um, <laughs> anyway well anthony always great to talk to you thanks so much for for coming on again i honestly have like a bazillion other things i'd love to talk to you about but uh can't keep you here all day but we'll do it again (laughs) we won't wait a year this time we'll do it again in the in the in the more near future (laughs) sounds good sounds good i appreciate it jason all right take care everyone i'd like to show you why knowing your why 
is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.